You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. Welcome back to The Buzz, brought to you by the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar. And I'm Tom Knezic. Welcome to episode 186, and uh, we have a lot of really good native plant stuff coming your way today. We do. A, we a do. little post, uh, well, first day of <laughs> December, actually. Well, I was going to say post-Black Friday, Thanksgiving, all that kind did of Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Stuff. I don't even think I, I did, asked yeah. you that. I didn't ask you either, so yeah. don't, don't feel, <laughs> I don't feel left out. Um yeah, no, I it was it was good. I don't. It's it's. Uh, Did you host? No, we don't. Okay. Right. Um, my parents host. They're like, well, basically, my mom's whole side of the family. We had eighteen people there, seventeen people there, and wow. then um, then my wife's mom hosts just for like the immediate family. Okay. So it's like her brother, his wife. And then we went there for dessert, so we okay, kind of cool. split duty a little bit, nice, which makes it a little stressful. But they're only like fifteen minutes apart, so well, it's not, not like bad. it's crazy. It's not like it's too crazy. It's we're lucky that we can do both. Nice, but uh, yeah, it's it's fun. This was uh, the first. So for the last three years, we've hosted everything: Thanksgivings, mm-hmm. Christmas Eve dinner, New Year's Day dinners, Easter's. We had our wedding, you know, Fourth of July, Labor Day, Memorial Day. So this year, we just wanted a, a holiday off. Mm-hmm. And we're like, yeah. someone else run with it, and no one ran with it. So we went out to dinner. We went to a restaurant. Nice. Just, it was just nice. uh, Agatha, myself, and my oldest son, Darian. And we went to uh, O'Connor's, which is a local establishment yeah. to here. And we had a great, great buffet meal. It's actually way better than we all expected it to be. Like we thought oh, it would be good. they did a good. buffet. They did a no buffet. You could get meals. Yeah. But they had a prime rib carving station, a turkey carving station, and like every, like the stuffing was homemade. Like everything mm-hmm. was homemade, and it was really, and they had a never-ending dessert table. Yeah, that was phenomenal. Yeah. So. That's a cool idea. Yeah, but I the, always uh, there's a couple people I know who've done, um, like a, uh, what am I trying to say? Going to a restaurant for Thanksgiving, and I always like feel bad for the people who have to work on Thanksgiving. But yeah. from a restaurant point of view, kind of sounds like they they it's a money-making opportunity for them. Yeah, so. and they worked the tip right into the bill. Yeah. So, like, you had to give at least 18%. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't an option. Um, and you've been there. Oh, yeah. Imagine this. The back parking, like, the whole parking lot was so full, people were parking on the grass. And that's wow. a big parking lot. Oh, the yeah, they got a lot of parking there. Yeah. So, so it was it was that good. And everything, we went home, had a, a fire, bonfire, nice. and then went in the cool. hot tub. Yeah. So it was a good yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Good day. That's awesome. <laughs> Easy. No cleanup. Yeah, but before we get to the – well, I was going to say, before we get to the native plant stuff, uh, we have some follow-up to do. We just we did, did some, but we, we have did. a little bit more, and that was we had uh, – Susan Landau wrote into yeah. us about one of our big um, – Omissions. Omissions from our, our mosquito control episode, and uh, and that's fans. And it's something we've talked about before. We just didn't talk about in that episode for one reason. No. I had meant to bring it up, and I yeah, just forgot. And Beth even had it in her article, but we were talking about things you could do. That never came. We just yeah. omitted it somehow. Yeah. It just didn't come up. Yeah. Sometimes we miss things. But thank you for bringing it to our attention. We wanted to to note it on this one, just saying as a follow-up, 
fans are they're not mosquitoes aren't great flyers so if you have some fans going especially in the summer when it's it's hot out you, it's nice to have them on anyway yeah in the summer and then it just gives you that little added extra benefit so exactly no thank you susan so much for for the follow-up yeah and then uh then the other thing i put on there was um something i've brought up the last couple years now and that is duck stamps yes and uh for those of you who don't know you can go to your local post office uh as long as well as some other place i think you can even order online now and you can order a duck stamp and if you don't know what duck stamp it is it's basically a, a stamp with a picture of a duck on it. Okay. it changes every year. It's been going on for... It's in a, a contest for a long, the winner. Yeah, they yeah. have a contest for who can win the picture of the duck stamp each year. And that is something you are required to buy if you want to, to hunt waterfowl each year. Um, why I bring it up here and why I think even if you don't want to hunt waterfowl, you should do it is 25 bucks. Um, so it's not like it's incredibly expensive. Expensive for a sticker, basically. Yeah. But but, uh, but if you're a collector. Yeah, but if you're a collector, yeah. it's good to start a collection with it. And then, two, all 25 of those dollars go directly towards uh, habitat uh, restoration or preservation some way. A lot of it going to, like, the National Wildlife Refuge System. Yeah. Um, so there's, for, like, a bang-for-your-buck kind of donation, that's a really great way to do it. Um, that's awesome. It's all of it. All of the money is going towards... Uh, habit restoration the other thing i threw in there with that is um a guy i i follow on social media uh his name's uh sam soholt he and his brother started a company called public land tees and um i think they still run it but i know the company still exists but i don't know if they they're still involved but i'm pretty sure they are and their whole thing is like it's all outdoor and hunting kind of like t-shirts but they were donating a lot of money of their profits towards uh towards like habitat and wildlife stuff um but then on top of it friend this is like return of the cough over no there. i was gonna say for, for those keeping yeah. track at home i've coughed twice and yeah. i just have this annoying it comes and goes <laughs> so for those of you that said yeah. you were going to start a drinking game have your your uh, spirit of choice yeah. ready yeah. i'm getting ready for if you're work, number three. Have your flask ready it's <laughs> <laughs> but yeah anyway they, you've, you've been coughing we've all been coughing actually i haven't noticed i've yeah. been coughing haven't been coughing a little like it's just like a yeah. almost like a clear your throat everyone has it's like one person in the office does yeah. it and it kind of makes its like way a, through, like a yawn like a chain yeah yeah anyway Sorry. public land tees you can got they have cool t-shirts up there they're taking that a lot of their money similar to what we're doing just on we're doing on a smaller scale um taking that money donating it to good causes Two, they actually have a thing where it's tied into a duck stamp oh, where you awesome. get a T-shirt and you, they buy you a duck stamp. That's they have cool. a, a thing called Stamp It Forward mm-hmm. where it's like you're paying for another person's duck stamp in a sense. Oh, okay, yeah. Is an idea like or giving them as gifts is a good yeah. thing to do and kind of like explaining it. And then uh, they even have a T-shirt, and I've toyed around with the idea of what we could do that's similar. Um, but they have a T-shirt. It's 125 bucks. I've talked about these guys before on here, probably this time last yeah. year. <clears throat> and um, and it's $125 t-shirt, but you get membership to these, like, five different, uh, like, hunting or wildlife organizations uh, or outdoor organizations. I think it's, like, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, Delta Waterfowl, like, the Mule Deer Alliance. It's uh, National Wild Turkey Federation is okay. one of them, and I yeah. forget the fifth um, off the top of my head, but... If you're into that kind of thing, that's a great place to do it because now you're not just getting a duck stamp, but you're getting a, a T-shirt too. Could we? Could you think we could get permission to use Billy Madison's blue duck picture? 
Oh god! Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and yeah. have it say it's quacktastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know, friend. I'll, I'll look into that. Maybe. I'll look into that. Awesome. Yeah. So, right before we came in to record, we got our Spotify wrapped. You, you curious? I wrote down I all sure the stats. Am, yeah. All right. So, just to preface it, and I went into our podcast host, and I can only do two years of history back at a time. So, and and time was of the essence. Just to put it in perspective with listens, in the last two years, Apple Podcast accounted for 55.2% of our listens and Spotify accounts for 8.18% of our listens in the last two years. Mm-hmm. So just when we're given numbers, just as a total, Spotify accounts for only 8% of our overall listens for Native Plants Healthy Planet. All right. What do you think our top episode was on – Spotify. I would guess it's probably which isn't I, and, yeah. and here's another preface. At the end of the year we're going to do our top 10 episodes yeah. of all time mm-hmm. and every year it changes. Like this year it's going to be 10 new episodes yeah. in our top and yeah. like Joan Brandwine's uh meet uh what's like it? Small yard native plants and small small yards, yards small places something small like that. Small places barely hanging on by the time we do it she'll be off the list. And and when she was number 1 last year yeah. we're like no one's ever going to pass. Us. Yeah, that's no knock on you Jim. Yeah. No, uh, not at all. It's that's just, just but the nature of the beast. The number 1 listened to episode on Spotify isn't our number 1. Oh. It's actually our oh. number 2 overall most listened ep- Actually, no, it's actually it's not. It's like on in the top 10 of all time it's like number oh. 7, 6 or 7. Well, I haven't memorized that much of the list. Um I've memorized. I know what the top one is, and because I was going to say, oh, it's got to be the the chestnut episode. It is not, but it's not the chestnut episode. It's not. Um, what would be six or seven? I'm going to say, is it is it the episode with uh, Michael Kern? It is not. I know it that's somewhere in that yeah. range. He uh, the episode is replaying the hits with Doctor Doug Ta- Douglas Tallamy and Doctor Enrique Salo. Cool. So that one had 446% more streams than the average episode. Okay. So cool. that one went a little viral. So nine – so what percentage uh, – you know, I'll just – I'm just going to say this. One. I'm not going to make it. 77% of our Spotify listeners discovered us this calendar year, 2023. Wow. 9% of those found us through the episode with – Doug Tallamy and Emory yeah, Salam. Cool. What do you think our top country is? Oh, I, it has to be the United States. It is. You want to yeah. guess a percentage? 70, 17, 76%. <laughs> <laughs> 95%. Yeah. Uh, number two is Canada, and number three is the UK. Okay. So top Makes three sense. countries. How about this? Our listeners, what do you think their top? What do you think the top three podcast genres are for our listeners? Well, nature? No. Science. Science is number two. Science is number two. Yeah. I don't – so Spotify has different categories. Yeah, yeah. Um, is it a paranormal activity? It is not. No. <laughs> it's not Bigfoot <laughs> either. Number one is comedy. Okay. Number right. two is science. Number three is society and culture. I don't know if this is new this year, but what do you think our listeners' top three music genres are? Um, I would assume um, – how about dwarf metal? <laughs> <laughs> 
that's that's a music genre, right? We hear that sometimes. It's, it's, no, it's I would not say uh, Americana, um, punk, all right, and um, and soft jazz. None of none of the above. <laughs> Our number one is rock. Number two is pop, and number three is rap. Okay, I I wouldn't have guessed rap. I would have guessed country before rap, mm-hmm. given yeah. the demographics. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to read these ones off. How listeners shared us. 39% shared links via text. Okay. Which I thought was. I didn't know. This is uh, for everyone at home. This is like a, oh, they're, <laughs> they're really watching you kind yeah. of thing. This is, they, they yeah. see you when you're sleeping. Yeah. 39% of our listeners shared us via text. 33% shared via direct link. 14% was other, which. I don't know what that would classify. Nine percent Instagram and five percent Facebook. Cool. So I wonder if like the other is like TikTok X, yeah, like all those. <coughs> Didn't get the button that time. Oh shoot! So I what? Are you, what are you up to now? Five, <laughs> six, seven, eight. <laughs> a lot. Yeah, must do a lot. You're you're drunk by now. Yeah. All right, uh, we're halfway through. Uh, most shared episode. What do you think the most shared episode is? The uh, the chestnut episode. No, no, it's not even an episode in our top ten. Really, but it makes sense why it would be the most shared. Um, how about the the gardening with native plants with uh, who was on that? Um, John McGee, Becky Leboy. No, not no, that one. not that one. And Rick McCoy. Yeah. Um, no, you want me to just tell you? Yeah, I think you should just tell me. Uh, the Carrick's Trials with oh, Sam yeah, Hoadley and Mount yeah. Cuba. Yeah, it makes sense why that one. Um, our podcast rating is 5, 5.0. Thank you, everyone. Uh, thank you so much. We created 38 Q&As, which we didn't do. We let Spotify automatically do that. We had 18 responses. Uh, and here was our overall growth. Uh, we grew this past year in listeners by 34%, streams by 67%, followers by 78%, and minutes created 14%. Um, we were the top podcast for 763 of our fans. Wow. Or no, the, a top 10 podcast. Top ten, okay, sorry. that's – sorry. We were less impressive, but top, still. Sorry, top 10 impressive. podcast for 763 of our fans, a top five podcast for 499 of our fans. Wow. Okay. How many do you – the top podcast last year, wasn't it just like a handful? I feel like it was it like five or yeah, ten. It couldn't have been many. We were the number one podcast for how many of our fans? Well, I'd be I'd be upset if it wasn't all 495 that were in the top <laughs> five, right? That's – 137. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. That's- and our top fans listened 6.6% more than other listeners. And 60 – this is the last stat and the one that really I found most interesting. 60, 60% of our top listeners, so 60% mm-hmm. of the 137 just found us this year. Yeah. No, that that's – Pretty impressive. Yeah, which means they haven't had time to get tired of us yet. Or their next year's five percent. They don't know. Who saw us. They don't know. There's a lot of things. That well, we've maybe done. they've gone through and really found them all. But I thought that was some pretty yeah, interesting that's really, stats. That's, um, I'm very flattered. I am too. That. That's pretty Thank, cool. Yeah, it's uh the 
I was looking through. There's a lot of comments on a lot of the Q and A's. People are really using that as a way to communicate with yes. us. And I think that our, I, I mean, early on, I think Spotify was less than five percent of oh, our yeah. listen. So yeah, it's it grown over the last year or so. So I appreciate having this kind of feedback because we don't really get it through Apple. Like I can go in and see some mm-hmm. stuff, but I don't get stats like that. Yeah, there's no podcast. Rap. Yeah, it's uh, we it's. It literally, we sit in a room and talk to each other for an hour and change a week uh, alone. Um, <laughs> we do it the rest of the week too, but yeah. it's with other people yes. involved. Yeah, and um, but yeah, we're sitting here alone again, uh, talking to ourselves. And um, but it's it is nice to hear a little bit of feedback and yeah. know people are listening. So, uh, like I always ask at the end, is leaving reviews goes a long, long way. Hitting subscribe goes a long way for mm-hmm. us. Um, and then the Spotify Q and A stuff is pretty yeah, cool. Yeah. Uh, even though I don't get to see it as much as you do, I I was able to log in once, and then yeah. I haven't been able to log in since. Yeah, it's uh every week now we get like three to five yeah, uh, people. Awesome. It's a lot of the same people, mm-hmm. so I don't always add them yep, to yep. the the list of of listener shoutouts. But um, we couldn't do it without all of you. It's yeah. it's pretty pretty flattering. It's, just yeah, it's to really see. flattering to see the community grow, getting bigger, and. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. Just, it's really it's flattered. it's it's heartwarming actually, and it's uh, I I don't know it it just boggles like as like wow like I can't believe that this is where the podcast is. Yeah, I'm really struggling to think of other words like synonyms for for flatter, <laughs> and it's reminding me of a dad joke that I also can't remember. So I have to look it up and I'll drop it in there some at some point. You know, but it but it, it's it's very heartwarming and nice to. To hear and read all these things and continue to grow um, because I know we internally have the conversation like probably once or twice a year like how – can we keep making this interesting? Mm-hmm. Like can we keep coming up with different guests before it starts sounding recycled and um, old? Mm-hmm. And I think we've we've managed – every time we have that thought, something comes our way. And we have a couple opportunities that that keep us going for a couple more months, and then you're like, "Oh, uh, like I." We were saying that after year one, and here we are closing in on the four year anniversary in two months, three yeah. months. Oh yeah. So it's uh, in 186 episodes. So it's just we appreciate everyone that's joined the Facebook group and watching that community grow, and and the kind of people that are listening and following us is just very flattering. So thank you, thank you so much. Yeah, the uh, the the joke that I I always love this one, whenever I see it is uh, my wife accused me of stealing her thesaurus. Not only was I shocked, but I was appalled, aghast, and dismayed. <laughs> I love that joke. I do love that joke. Yeah. All right, I actually have a complaint. Oh, gosh. oh we haven't I, done one of these in a I, long time. No, let me. Since I just said all these nice things, let me get to complaining. So I'm going to try to keep it civil because. When I went over this in my mind, it wasn't a civil, and I would like to keep it on the on the. You can't complain and be pleasant, but I'd like to keep it low key. How's that yeah. sound? Yeah. So, I know what you're um, the other day while scrolling social media, I noticed that uh, one of our trade publications in the nursery uh, businesses nursery management and we've been in the magazine a few times i know uh they did a cover story on tom's mother suzanne a few years back um they they've, a, a they've feature covered the on pod, this podcast on the podcast yeah. so 
uh, very good people. They they do a lot of good work. But there was a feature article on Carol Reese. Now we've talked about Carol indirectly on the podcast because wasn't the Garden Rant? Mm-hmm. You did one yeah. of her. Was it? It wasn't I've her done article. One of her articles, and then I did an article that referenced her, and we had some interesting feedback on that article as well in the Facebook group because yeah. there are people that actually inter- have to interact with with Carol Reese, but. It was a very flattering article for Carol, and one of the things that kind of struck me was, you know, she was saying her agenda is she feels that it's she's needed to speak out and debunk native plant purists because um, she feels that they're spreading misinformation mm-hmm. and that wildlife has been moving plants around through the beginning of time. And that she needs to debunk it, and that's her agenda. And um, in reading it, you know, and and I wouldn't say that we're native plant purists. No, you, I I wouldn't cla- I wouldn't no. categorize Tom or myself as native plant purists. Um, but I feel after reading the article, I've learned that Carol also owns patents on 25 plants and i know this is speculation but you have to wonder through her years of extension service you know we've had people say that she was saying no we're not planting native plants Mm -hmm. how many of her plant patents did she promote through extension i'm not saying that she did i'm just curious like that's where my mind went Mm -hmm. um and there was a lot of you know to me it seemed like the agenda was to promote Carol because she's a, a a national lecturer. Uh, she uh, wrote a recurring article in the local paper, uh, the Jackson Sun. Like it seemed like that's more the agenda, like Carol to promote herself and make money. Mm-hmm. And it's in doing so, it's a lot of it to me is spreading fake news about native plants. But it just really kind of like spread a new light on the picture. Like why would someone want to be so upset about native plants mm-hmm. um for her i know one of her arguments is native plants aren't always the best choice yeah yeah mm-hmm. okay yep. but should you discount their contribution to the food web and the ecosystem absolutely not um so it was just kind of eye-opening and then they go into her owning you know, like 115 acres and having 17 rescue dogs, which are which are great things. But you wonder how much of that was paid for by not promote by promoting cultivars, patents, things like that. Mm-hmm. It just seemed like very like if if you were to say you were to promote plants that you have patents on while you're working, it's like getting paid to be paid. It's yep. it's like I don't know. It's it's just the whole thing seems, and I'm I'm not trying to make ac- accusations, and I'm not trying to, um, not def- um, um, make make defamation claims. I'm just trying to say I see a bigger picture than what I saw earlier after this article. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, mm-hmm. I I also saw the article and uh, it was uh, <laughs> I. I don't know how, how exactly I feel in general, but I think a lot of there's a lot of people who are are really rooted into horticulture, yeah. um, pun intended, and they 
it's like anything. You don't want to know. You don't want to be told you've been doing things wrong. No. And uh, and I think my experience with a lot of her writing is she's really taking a very small segment, yeah. uh, small but outspoken segment of people who are into native plants and making that the entire argument yeah. and saying, well, no, we can't embrace native plants because of these folks over yeah. here are making all these crazy claims, which don't get me wrong. There are people yeah. making really wrong and crazy claims, especially on Facebook about native plants. Um, I don't think I've seen... I, and I've said this early on in our podcast discussions and multiple times. There's a lot of people who are, are I really respect as professionals yeah. in um, in that are in a lot of these native plant groups and uh, uh, have been doing this for, in some cases, like 30, 40, 50 years. Yeah. And then seeing them told, no, you're wrong by someone who, like a few posts earlier, was asking for really pretty basic advice. Um you got to be careful. We've said it a lot of yeah. times. You got to be careful what you see on Facebook and what you're saying on Facebook, yeah. because you're can be feeding a a group that doesn't necessarily want to hear. They're really rooted in what they've been doing. Yeah. Uh, they're also really knowledgeable about what they've done, but don't want to hear. Hey, maybe what we've been doing wasn't the best for the the earth or the planet yeah. or the best for the environment, best for habitat. Um, maybe we've caused some problems unintentionally. Um, it's, it's like that with so many things. And we just say, we don't want to admit, hey, you know what? Maybe I screwed up here. Um, or maybe we haven't been doing it quite right. Or I, I love this thing and I don't want to admit that maybe it's not perfect. And we get really defensive about it instead yeah. of, and that's, we have to be welcoming that conversation. Yeah. This was a really good segue because there's, uh, uh, comment on our Facebook page about the discussion I had where I gave yeah. a presentation to Farm Bureau um, about why you should include pollinator habitat yeah. in your farms. And the, the comment was basically, well, why didn't you, I didn't hear you talking about why yeah. honeybees can actually be bad in that, in your discussion. And so I chimed in in the comments. I did that on purpose because you have beekeepers that I'm yeah. friends with that are sitting in the front row and I'm no. not going to sit down all these folks have been hearing, hey, we need to save the pollinators. They've been thinking of honeybees. They don't know the whole story yet. Yeah. If I'm going to come in and say honeybees are bad, they're going to say this guy's full of BS yeah. and, and just dis- discount my entire yeah. thing. And and, um, I'm, and I don't want them to be pissed off. I want them to be like, huh, I never thought of it that way. Let me look into the sooner and kind of either talk to me or kind of find it on their own and keep going down that road and be happy about the decisions they're, they're consciously mm-hmm. making instead of being told you're doing it wrong. Because then they're never going to yeah. get there. And and you know what? Like I think Brad Madrinsky mm-hmm. had a great uh, comment as yep. well saying, you know, I, I dabble in beekeeping and, you know, you're always weighing options. Is yeah. beekeeping for honey better than big sugar? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, yeah. you have a valid oh, yeah. point. You have a very mm-hmm. valid point because if you're creating habitat, you're still – you know, and he was saying he has a lot of friends that are beekeepers. I completely understand that argument. Yep. And, and I had a very – not to do with bees when Tom and I were in Chicago. I had a very similar feeling where something was going to be brought up that I said, and I'm like, I don't want it said because I'm of the minority, and I don't want to offend all of my colleagues mm-hmm. by saying this. I'd rather kind of feel it and yeah. and deal with it and know that this isn't going to play to this audience <laughs> because it just won't, and I knew it, and I think I talked to you, and that's kind of how I got to that 
assumption like yeah. ah, maybe this is better better left unsaid yeah yep. <clears throat> uh, but i i think you know in reading that article i felt very similar to the alan armitage mm-hmm. article that, yep. that we talked about and just that times are changing and you have mm-hmm. people that are well respected in the horticultural industry that made their living and their their life off of it and things are changing and instead of kind of accepting it they're fighting it mm-hmm. um and it's it's kind of sad to see it. Yeah. It doesn't play very well now. I know Carol's recently retired. I'm sure she's not retiring from the lecture circuit and all that. But I'm sure we haven't heard the last of of Alan Armitage and Carol mm-hmm. Reese. But it's I, I wish that it could be handled differently and and find a middle road uh, instead of a fight. Yeah, because that's not how we approach people. Like a lot of our things are. I'm very proud of how we've conducted ourselves and say. Try to find a common ground. Mm-hmm. Try to find uh, a gentler way to have a conversation. Like yeah. all that's how to talk to people, how to find common things. You know, even I look at. I don't know if it was a conscious decision from the get go, but all the money from the T-shirts have been donated. Mm-hmm. Now you and I get paid for doing the podcast, yeah. not extra. It's just part of our job. Mm-hmm. This is part of our job, so we're being yeah. paid right now because it's work. Mm-hmm. But we really, even all the talks that we've done. The most we've taken is a free admission. Yeah, um, yeah. And we're going like we're going to visit a, 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 a science class next mm-hmm. month. Um, we've done other talks in person. We've yep. done them via yep. Zoom, and we've never really even I've bought like for myself like merchandise like stickers and hats. Mm-hmm. I'm at a loss for that. Like oh, I haven't yeah. made any money. Yeah, and it's um, it's yeah. We are in a different kind of position where we're doing this as well. I kind of forced it to be part of our job yeah. in a way, but uh, it, a lot of people. It, there don't was resistance from, at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. from from uh, knowing some people who are on that like lecture circuit. Yeah, um, they've even talked to me about stuff and saying like you can be making money off of this, and I'm not. I'm not saying that in a bad way. Yeah, um, you can be using this because you have time and money and expenses yeah. that go into it. Yeah. And you at least need to be compensated for that. Yeah. Um, how I view some of it is, well, I, the organization that's asking us to do this, I'd rather, I would be Help willing them. to make them a donation. Yeah. I want more people to make donations to them. Yeah. So I'm counting it that way. It's not necessarily that I'm, it's, I don't see it necessarily as I'm doing it for free. It's me making a donation to them. Yeah. Yeah. Not, yeah. but but I'm very yeah. proud of how we yes, conduct, yeah. conducted ourselves. Now, don't give us an influx of, oh, Tom and Fran will do all this stuff for free. We we can't do everything. Oh, yeah. Like we and, even the stuff we do, we have to pick definitely and choose. Don't think that we're going to do it forever because yeah. there is going there could be a tipping point where we just can't. Yeah. Even um, even advertising money goes right back to offset the cost of the show, and we're operating at a loss. Yeah. Basically, yeah. this this yeah. podcast is um, operated I, from a loss. For that's the last an interesting four years. conversation too, because you think about. Uh, oh, I'm, I'll bring up uh, like with Doctor Talmy. Yeah. If you want to have him come speak at your event, there's a fee that goes along with yeah. that. I don't think that's unfair. No. There's people I talk to who thinks it's very unfair. Yeah. <laughs> that oh, he should be doing this out of the goodness of his heart. He's a college professor, which I'm sure yeah. is a he's paid fairly yeah. for that, but. He's done a lot of research. He's doing a ton of research. Yeah. He has a message that no, well, very few other people have. And, and he reaches an audience and he's that got the 
Yeah. Like he's got the knowledge backing that he's done a lot of this research himself or collaborated with other people that do it himself. We don't have that. Yeah. Like we, yeah, we can talk about native plants all day, but unless someone else is doing the research on it to give us the information to say, we don't have that. If, he has a whole product basically and, and maybe, that he can charge for and to give it away for free is basically putting him in the hole, I guess, is, is yeah. so to speak. Yeah. Um, so I think it's fair to do that. And this is all tied back to... And maybe you and I don't value ourselves what we offer. Like, yeah. I kind of feel like if you were to take all of our guests and put oh, them yeah, in the yeah, audience yeah. and have us talk to them, I would feel very <laughs> uncomfortable yeah. that I was yeah. doing anything worthwhile for anyone to pay for. Yeah. You know, but regardless, we're happy to spread the message. Mm-hmm. And now you could say, what we do, does that in turn bring more business into the nursery probably yeah, probably but yeah. that pays our salaries yeah you know mm-hmm. so for for doing this yeah. it's kind of like yeah but so do a lot of other parts of our job mm-hmm. <laughs> bring more value to the business yeah so yeah my, my big takeaway from your complaint fran is that you're there's going to be people you encounter who have this point of view yeah um where they're turned off by the whole concept of native plants Probably out of one bad interaction, yeah. whether it was a headline, it was something at a master gardener's group, a presentation they heard, and it was just – it was something that irked them because it's like they're telling me I did something wrong yeah. and that I that what they're saying is not right and I'm going to go out of my way to prove them wrong. And um, so you have to be very cognizant of how you're having these, these conversations, your Facebook posts, all these interactions yeah. – so that you're minimizing. There's going to be those people regardless, yeah. but it's a lot better if it's 1% versus 10% well, and, of the people reading what you're putting And to out. me, like when you look at our company's core values, one of our core values is honesty. Mm-hmm. And with my I'm, – I'm, you know, I always forget what they are, but basically one of my, my top things for my Gallup strengths poll was somewhere in that. So mm-hmm. to hear people lecturing against native plants that have a – Financial stake in you not using native plants yeah. seems hypocritical to me because you're benefiting from people not planting. Mm-hmm. You can financially benefit from people not planting native plants. Yeah. And that's seems wrong. That's only part of the truth to me. There, there's got to be some kind of middle ground. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Like if you have 25 plant patents, plant patents are a pretty lucrative business i can't it say can that be. for every bit yeah i'm not yeah. saying that every patented plan is a is a gold mine yeah that was a, a, actually the same person i was talking about making money off of of giving presentations and speeches um was telling me how uh it was actually someone who worked for proven okay. winners and they were saying how uh with proven winners it's like for every i, I can't remember the plant he referenced but he's like for every one whatever proven famous proven winners thing that's like a million dollar patent there's a hundred or more ones that might make like a grand in their lifetime um well listen when i worked for star roses we had i think 426 patents yeah you know and the biggest ones being the blue hollies Mm -hmm. all right so that's probably like 10 patents there's easily a hundred patents that i could rattle off and you'd say i've never heard of that plant you know, yeah. and I'm, I, you know, same at Princeton Nurseries. We had a ton of patents. You know, for every October, October Glory Red Maple, there's 
there's some plants that I, I'm trying to remember some of them that you've never heard of. You're like, where, what happened? To oh that yeah, you know? yeah. So I I know it's it's hit or miss, but still, it's just I don't know. It just rubbed me the wrong way, and I yeah, wanted I to say something. Just uh, you know, because these are people that have loud voices as well. You know, they have the means to lecture or put articles mm-hmm. out, and yep. I feel I'm like, all right, we have a voice too. I'd like to at least tell our side of the story. Yeah. Yep. Now, I'm not picking a fight. There's mm-hmm. nothing to pick a fight. If if I were either of them, I wouldn't even acknowledge this if they heard it because why yep. lend any credibility to us by yep. acknowledging it? Yep. At least I, I said our piece to our listeners. So. All right, cool. All right. I'm done completely. Yeah. No, we – that was <laughs> – it was a nice little uh, aside. We haven't had one. Did, no. you, did you play your – did you play your theme I song? did. I okay, did. I couldn't yeah. remember. It's been so long. Yeah, I did. So. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know if you were going to complain too. I was going. I was ready to hit yours. No, I. If, I don't know if I complained. Uh, I think no. I was just bringing a rational approach. Yeah, you kept to, me grounded. Yeah, to dealing with these uh, with people who who have an alternative opinion. I almost said these folks like that's <laughs> like they're bad in some way, but they are. They're normal people. They just have yeah. a different opinion, and yeah. and it's probably based off of a negative interaction they have. yeah um yeah so, so all before, right. before we go to that's hot one more follow-up yeah if if you're in the area and you're in the trade there's a conference coming up next week it's called turning leaf uh chesapeake council what is it it's cclc you want to look it up real fast yeah. but if it's being held in kent on kent island maryland uh, next Thursday, December seventh, yeah, I believe. It's the, the Chesapeake Conservation Landscaping Council turning a new leaf con- conference, yep. uh, December sixth through eighth in okay. Kent Island, Maryland. So I think the sixth and eighth are are field trips, but the seventh is all speakers. What a wonderful lineup! Nancy Lawson, Heather Holm, mm-hmm. great, great yeah. lineup. If you're in the industry and you're in that area and you can make that conference, uh, definitely try to make that. Okay. Uh, Let's do the plants that we're vibing with this week. We should probably talk about native plants, uh, and that's what that's hot. That's hot. Friend, you were pulling me earlier on all this stuff, yes. so I'm going to actually ask you a question. Yes, go ahead. Uh, sugar blank, tree that turns fiery red in the fall. What is the blank? Sugar blank, a tree that turns fiery red in the fall. Sugar maple's orange. A lot of dead air there. Yeah, I, I don't – fiery red. I'm trying I, to think. To be I, honest, I don't know. I didn't think there was a great clue either, but it is sugar maple. <laughs> oh, it, don't you consider that being <laughs> I consider orange? I consider more of an orange too. Uh, yeah. But why this is my plant this week is they're defoliated now. They don't have any leaves on them. Um, is, They've been actually – they held really long this year. Yeah. Like I've noticed there's sugar maples in my development, which kind of shocks me being in south southern New Jersey because yeah. it's kind of out of its range a little bit. But uh, – they were putting on one heck of a display. Yeah, this, but that was uh, the one of the clues for the New York Times mini crossword on Wednesday of this week, and uh, so that's why it's my if that's you, hot plant. If you were to get say, a little clout <laughs> in the New York Times mini crossword, if you were to say which maple turns fiery red in the fall, I would have said, "Oh maple, yeah, I would red have said maple, sugar maple too." But I was like, "Oh, five five letters." I should have given yeah. you the five letters. Yeah. Uh, but like, if you took out sugar and just said which maple, yeah, like would your first thought have been red yeah. maple? Oh yeah, 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 for sure. Like I wouldn't have said, yeah, I wouldn't have said. But yeah, as soon as I read, I'm like, I don't know. I wouldn't say it's quite red, but 
I debate it's, that one, New York. Times. But uh, it's still a wonderful plant. Um, uh, not so much for here in New Jersey, where we are in New Jersey, but for the north, north you get. It's a, a much better plant. A um, little bit more about sugar maples is they are a slow-growing, medium-sized deciduous tree that can tolerate shade. Uh, nondescript greenish flowers bloom in April, followed by maple fruits, which are the double-winged Samaras. Uh, a lot of people use them like helicopters and throw them in the air, and they spin around. Pretty cool, um, especially for kids. Yes. Uh, the impressive fall foliage offers brilliant yellow and orange colors. This spe- uh, species is the main source of sap for the production of maple syrup. Used as a specimen tree or a shade tree in the yard. It is intolerant of road salt and soil compaction, so avoid planting in areas with those challenging conditions. And that is from our friends at Jersey Friendly Yards. Oh, awesome. That's an awesome description and a great tree. Fantastic. Yeah. Like one of my favorites. I, I have one just in the very back of my yard that's small that I'm excited. It's right behind a red oak, which I don't – did you notice the oaks to me this year? Like I know oaks hold their leaves longer. Yeah. It seems like, like it was a really red long oak, time. Red oak like actually – had a really nice fall color, more so than normal. Like I think, yeah. like the fall display was way better this mm-hmm. year uh, than than nor- or above average yep. this year. Yep. Um, my selection this week is groundsel tree or groundsel bush, <clears throat> which is uh, Baccarus halimifolia. Um, I noticed it fruiting at the nursery. We have one that filled in in the hedgerow up by the road. Um, but also I went to visit my son in Florida – my youngest son in Florida a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. and we went to a brewery. And where we parked behind it was an open area, and it was all filled with baccarat fruiting. So really? I was like well, – yeah, I was like, oh, cool. wow. I, you know, you, I expect to be like in a different climate and not notice a lot, but that was the mm-hmm. first thing I noticed. Um, it's a member of the Astor family. gets 6 to 12 foot tall. It's native along the east coast from Long Island to Florida and then west of Texas. It gets a small white nectar-rich flower in the late summer that attracts bees, butterflies, and moths. The silvery plumes, which you see at this time of the year, um, are the fruit. They're often mistaken to be achenes, but because they're from the aster family, they're actually cypsellus. It's a simple – which is a simple dried fruit that appear on female plants in the fall, much like a buttercup or a sunflower. Granivorous birds love the seed. It's actually poisonous to humans. Um, it grows in wet and disturbed areas and can also take salty soil or salt spray and in mild conditions will remain uh, semi-evergreen. And for how cold it's been, they're still holding their leaves pretty well here. Mm-hmm. In Florida, obviously, they were they were still evergreen. But um, not something you may want – personally, I think it makes a, a, a beautiful shrub and we've, we've seen it growing in cracks in the street <laughs> you know, along roads because it can take road salt. But it's very adaptable. So it is something, even though it's mostly found in coastal conditions, uh, can be used as a garden plant. So, yeah, and it's a plant that I didn't realize uh, really until fairly recently that w- it was dioecious. I didn't realize and, that um, Yeah, someone had asked me uh, if we had any females. I'm like, I didn't know that one was dioecious. Yeah. And then I started to look into it a little bit. I'm like, oh, it is. And, yeah, so it's the ones that – the female ones that get the like feathery, yeah. yeah. Because seed, I noticed when, when I noticed that one there, I walked by other ones in our landscape that had mm-hmm. nothing. Yep, and that's yeah. kind of was like, all right, yeah. that's where it started to hit me. And uh, and to be honest, there was other nursery people who didn't know that either because I was given a tour. Oh. And I was like, I just found out this was Daisha's. I'm like, I didn't, I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> and there's two pretty prominent nursery people in the in the the world. Um, but uh, it was a little interesting stat that I just found the other day because it seems like i'm finding more and more plants 
are dioecious. Yeah. Uh, but it's really, it's only like, I think, I, I, 5% of tree species worldwide are dioecious. Really? But it seems like so many of them. I would have guessed them, way and it's, higher It's like than 20 or 15% in the U.S. Wow. Are dioecious. I've. I don't even remember where I saw this stat. <laughs> I just wow. saw it, like, I glanced over it real quick. I'm like, oh, I didn't know that, and then just kind of kept scrolling on my phone. I would have, guess, I would, I would have guessed way higher. Yeah. Than that. Oh yeah. For how many seem to be be like, I don't know. I maybe the monoecious ones just you you don't pay attention. Yeah, to Yeah, that might be it. But, that yeah. might be it. But two great choices: uh, sugar maple. Again, both items that you need kind of specific conditions. Uh, but both great choices for your property if you have the space or the conditions. Uh, make sure you check them both out. Stay tuned for more of the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. Welcome back to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. Let's get into this week's botany-based current events. So last buzz, we actually gave you an extra week to vote uh, because of us trying to get back on a regular routine of guest buzz. Um, My last article was about birds in uh, agriculture land being more vulnerable to heat. Tom's was the fastest way to kill your lawn. And it's been a very long time, but we have a tie. It was 11-11. You were winning 11-7, and then the last yeah. like three days I got a couple votes out of the blue. So uh, you want to break the tie or leave it a tie? I think we – I don't have anything planned. I, so I don't have I anything gotta, All right. Then well, actually – We could do rock, paper, Actually, Fred, Okay, all right. What do you got? We could tie this into our secret. Oh. Maybe we break the tie in the secret. Okay. Um. Yeah. I think we'll break the okay. secret. All right. We'll wait for that. Yeah. But since you've won the last few weeks, I will let you choose if you would like to read first or something. All right. I'm going to read first. Okay. So uh, so I get the fresh ears because mine's a little long this week, <laughs> as is yours. But Where mine is ma- incredibly mine's, long. Mine's two pages. Um, it's not too bad. I can't believe I cut Actually, less out, than two pages. I can't believe I cut out probably two-thirds of this article, and it's still wow. on our, our script document. It's like two and a half pages long. This is the whole um, article for me, and it's less than two pages. Yeah. So. So uh, mine was a uh, just published in – now I'm forgetting the name of the magazine. I just got it off of Cornell's Orthology website Okay, uh, where it was shared, but it originally appeared somewhere else. It was written by Greg uh, – oh, man. There's a lot of vowels in a row there. Uh, it's really only two. <laughs> Brining? 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 B-R-E-I-N-I-N-G. Uh, and the photography, if you do look up this article, is by Melissa Grew. And it is titled Battling, Battling a Green Glacier, How a Native Tree Became a Threat to Nebraska's Grasslands. Oh. Uh, is there such a thing as too many trees in Nebraska, home of Arbor Day? Ranchers are battling the inex- inexorable march of red cedars across sandhill grasslands that sustain both livestock and bird life. We've, so, and we've ta- Did we talk about this with Marcus Gray? Oh, Way yeah. back in like oh, the yeah. first like five episodes. We've talked about red cedars a lot, and every time we talk about red cedars and how why we like them here we've had uh, they are issues yeah. elsewhere we have listeners always coming in that say i can't believe you bad mouth red cedar they're such a great tree and, <laughs> and then you have like, listeners like, here yeah but not not in the midwest no we've <laughs> had listeners in the, south, in the midwest saying that's a, a thorn in our side oh, like yeah. it's it's yeah. it's it's a problem so uh yeah so i'll read 
Frank, cut me off if this is going too long. No, I'm gonna go read for the whole some, thing. and then um, then make sure you read the whole thing because it's it is pretty impactful writing uh, when you think about this native tree species and and the issues it can cause. So I will start right now. All right. Sarah Sordom had has a photography of her. Or, I already screwed up. Wow. <laughs> Starting over. Sarah Sordom has a photo in, of her grandparents receiving a conservation award in 1973 for planting trees across their ranch in the eastern Nebraska sandhills. In my grandparents' generation, they were really encouraged by conservation programs to plant trees, says Sordom, who now helps run the same family-owned acreage known as the Switzer Ranch. Remember, this is the Arbor Day State. That's the way of life in Nebraska, planting trees. The trees primarily native. Uh, the trees primarily eat native eastern red cedar, offer shade and visual relief from the unrelenting horizon of prairie. Their dense branches and evergreen needles provide a windbreak and natural snow fence to protect the homestead, and a virtual odor outdoor barn in Sordom's word for calves in the spring. Now we have these beautiful mature cedar windbreaks, and they are valuable to us, she says. But now we also have the seed source. Research from the University of Nebraska Lincoln shows that the seed source, the fully grown red cedars bursting with tiny cones at the end of their evergreen branches, can propagate a wave of cedar seedlings that spread out a couple hundred yards away from the parent tree. Two, two generations after her grandparents planted them, those red cedars are spreading out from the homestead and windbreaks, creating an ungovernable front of woodland. And it's not just the Switzer Ranch. The same thing is happening throughout the Sand Hills and across much of the central Great Plains. The advancing wall of conifers, dubbed the Green Glacier by Oklahoma State University rangeland ecologist David Engel, threatens the very existence of grasslands and the grassland bird life. According to Engel, the woody encroachment, as ecologists call it, is challenging endemic avifauna to an extent equivalent to that of the Pleistocene glaciation. A lot of big yeah. SAT words in yeah, that totally. sentence. Uh, in Nebraska's sandhills, the transformation is scaring the bejesus out of ranchers. Also an SAT word with bejesus. <laughs> <laughs> so scaring the bejesus out of ranchers, bird biologists, and everybody concerned with the conversation of grass and woodland. Uh, grass and the woodland will eat up habitat for prairie wildlife. The doom the ranching way of, and doom the ranching way of life. Says Sordom, the biggest common challenge we've got is the red cedar. The solution, or at least the resolution that ranchers and conservationists are aiming for, is a joint effort to use mechanical tree removal and prescribed fire to beat back the advance of trees and preserve land for cattle and prairie wildlife. And in Nebraska, almost all land is private land. Without the help of landowners, Kelly says, nothing will be able to protect ranching, the prairie, or grassland birds from the trees. The Sandhills occupy nearly 20,000 square miles in north-central Nebraska, a quarter of the state. Formed as shifting, growing dunes and wind-driven sand, the hills stabilized as recently as a 1,000 years ago, and today are capped by a mixed grass prairie. When European explorers first surveyed the land, they hardly hardly a tree could be found. You could travel across the entire sand hills without seeing a tree, says Dylan Fogarty, researcher and program coordinator for the Working Lands Conservation at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. They were tucked in on just a few stream banks. In those days, the force of the landscape uh, keeping trees in check was fire. Some set natural... Uh, naturally by lightning, but most by busy humans with an eye toward game and land management. The earliest inhabitants of the plains, says Fogarty, actively shaped the environment to create the environment uh, that they could thrive in. Indigenous groups have been using fire and shaping ecosystems for thousands of years, and a wildlife species in the plains evolved with uh, systems that burn frequently. As settlers and their government forced tribes such as the Pawnee, Lakota, and Plains Apache from the sand hills, they also removed the aggressive use of fire to manage the landscape. In fact, the newcomers tried to prevent any fire at all. Under this new regime, the scrappy but fire-vulnerable eastern red cedar, uh, which is Juniperus virginiana. I don't know why they just brought it up there and not in the beginning. Yeah, I don't know. But Juniperus virginiana was able to venture out from the steep slopes and canyon walls along prairie streams and onto grasslands. 
whereas attractive powder blue seed berries were consumed and expelled by the likes of cedar waxwings and yellow rumped warblers. I just, by the way, yeah. just had my first yellow rumped warbler really? in our backyard this oh, weekend. Interesting. Yeah. So, sorry. Uh, red cedars aren't a, aren't a fast spreading invasive species of their own right. Some ninety five percent of cedars seed or cedars seed production in a year falls within just two hundred yards of the seed source, according to Fogarty's research. But without fire to burn off the, their advances, the trees emerge from the refugia and spread across the prairie. And that's not all. Settlers unwittingly aided the destruction of the prairie by planting more trees, even uh, even making an organized effort of it. In the 19th century, J. Sterling uh, Morton, a newspaper editor in Nebraska City and later secretary of the Nebraska Territory, enthusiastically promoted a tree planting. After statehood, he proposed a holiday to encourage citizens to plant trees. On the first American Arbor Day in April 10th, 1872, enthusiasts planted a million trees in Nebraska that day alone. For decades, civic organizations and government agencies continued to plant trees and promote tree planting. Once Sarah Sordom and her family realized Red Cedar was claiming their range, they attacked with chainsaws, handsaws, loppers, and even skid steer in an attempt to destroy the invading trees. There was absolutely no way we could get on top of it, and it was also quite expensive, she says. That's why I turned to prescribed fire which has really, uh, which was really hard for my dad because culturally he grew up where fire was scary and bad. At the outset, Sordom says her family was on their own with undertaking prescribed burns. They didn't know where to turn for advice and support except the volunteer fire department, and even they didn't want to help. Soon after those first burns were completed, the neighbors around the Switcher Ranch property took notice of what grew back in the blackened, charred pastures, thick grass, and wildflowers without trees. Her family has, has continued to burn several hundred acres every spring so that any given acre... Uh, that any given acre gets fire every 10 to 12 years. Sordom says she's impressed by the benefits to resident birds, especially those first uh, two years after a fire. There'll be a lot more, or a few more forbs that come up than normal. The firing plants that draw in the bugs, Sordom says, when I go to those areas, I swear those prairie chickens and the grouse, they march their broods in those areas in late July and early August, and that's where they raise those chicks. According to Ryan Lodge at Pheasant Forever, the changing tide of bringing ranchers on board to fight cedars is key to keeping grassland habitats on the ground in Nebraska. Nothing happens without landowner buy-in, Lodge says. I mean, Nebraska is 97% privately owned. Uh, we can have all the money and all the programs in the world, but if we don't have landowner buy-in, we can't do anything. We, they are our biggest partner. They make this happen. To foster more of those types of partnerships, the Nebraska Game and Parks Commission has a team of more than 20 employees working with ranchers to fund habitat work primarily red cedar removal. Through a combination of state and fire, uh, federal money, much of it coming through Pitt and Robertson Wildlife Restoration Act, which is funded through taxes on the sale of firearms, uh, and a lot of other uh, like hunting uh, equipment gotcha. um, mm-hmm. and ammunition. The Game and Parks Commission works with various partners, including the Nature Conservancy, Northern, uh, Northern Prairie Land Trust, and the Santee Sioux Nation. But most of the tree removal and grassland restoration occurs on private land, says Commission Wildlife Biologist T.J. Walker. Ultimately, the landowners are going to be the ones who win this battle, says Walker. We're trying to keep them ahead of it or help them keep ahead of it, but they are the ones that are going to have to maintain it and keep on top of it down the road. We're blessed to live in an area that's good for the ranch, is good for the wildlife, she says. Uh, that's sort of, again, her quote. The prairie chickens and grassland birds need open and intact grasslands the same way with the cows. And according to Kelly, the fate of the prairie depends on that relationship between ranches and grasslands. If we lose our land stewards, we're going to lose the stewardship that goes along with them. Sordom agrees if ranchers don't succeed in preserving the prairie, she doesn't know who will step up. Battling the red cedars has become part of how we do business now. Without the vested interest of the ranchers in keeping the grasslands open, no other group will be willing to spend, uh, will be able to spend our or spend the money needed to fight a constant battle with the trees. 
Tom, that's a fantastic article. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought so, too, because it really – and someone shared it in the Native Habitat Managers group because I see that clash a lot, what we were describing before, where you have people saying, hey, we need to cut all down or get rid of all this red cedar. And then you have a lot of other folks saying, why would you do that? It's a great tree, but tend to be people from the Northeast versus people from – Is it introduced there or – like, I don't think so. I right. think it was – it's a native tree there, but it's something that, like they kind of said, with it's not – It's always it's been managed. It's susceptible to fire. Yeah. Um, and that area has always been burned pretty and heavily. I'm sure for hedgerows, I don't know if Nebraska is part of the Dust Bowl. Uh, yeah, I would assume I, They so, didn't yeah. really say it here. I'm assuming it yeah. was encouraged during mm-hmm. the Dust Bowl era yeah. probably. Um, but yeah, and I, well, that's probably why a lot of the – that was a tree of choice because it could take the really dry yeah. conditions. Part of the article goes into like the the rainfall amounts, yeah, and how dry it is, and how you need things that can take really dry conditions, which eastern red cedar can. Yeah. Um, but I think it was just really stuck in those places where it got really the conditions that needed, and didn't places that didn't yeah. catch on fire or were kind of saved from those those fire events. Yeah, and. Um, and once you took the fire off the landscape, it kind of it was un, like out of control. Yeah, um, it's you know it's it's one of those things where you you find you know the first thing that I thought of was right plant, right place because you have yeah. a you have an ecosystem that's already been impacted by human intervention where it was once managed one way, now it's managed a different way. Like fire was good, fire was bad. If you're going to change it. Then you have to look at it differently and not – you know, they, they probably didn't – weren't aware how big of a issue Eastern Red Cedar would be obviously if if they knew. They they probably wouldn't have chosen that plant. But it's just – it's it's amazing what you learn after mistakes <laughs> and, and how you have to look at lead. I, I'm glad that they're able to introduce fire and see the prairies returning to what they were, to an ecosystem – that is functioning and realizing, hey, this needs to be managed a certain way if we want to maintain it the way we remember it. But Friend, we got an interesting email. Sorry, I, I started for, for me and you throwing you out, and we yeah we got okay. an interesting email that um, um since we brought up Spotify Wrapped, yeah, I figured we might as bring it up as well. But okay. one of our former guests and uh, and one of our very avid listeners of the podcast, uh, who we talk about a lot, Santino from Bowman's Hill Wildflower, Wildflower Preserve. Preserve. Uh, just wrote to us and said, uh, good news and bad news. Good news is something that I'll keep private for yeah, now. Okay. Um, something we're working on together. Uh, bad news is we didn't make the top five in his Spotify wrapped. Really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Very surprised. Wow. Santino is a very avid podcast listener, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, wow. And fact, think we about were edged it. Like- out by. Four Bigfoot podcasts were on his. <laughs> no, just well, he said no Bigfoot podcast made it either. So, so out of a hundred, he we didn't make the top five. So out of he would have been number five hundred for us. Basically, yeah. he made it. He made it four hundred ninety nine, and yeah. we were like, were we his number one last year? I think on Spotify. I don't remember, but I'm very yeah. or we were top five. I think for him, I'm yeah. very disappointed in that. Although I will say this, Santino also listens on. Every platform imaginable. So he's left True. comments yeah. on YouTube, yeah. like kind of everywhere, all under different names. Yeah. So for uh, what you were saying before, I kind of yeah. saw that email and started. You were to, smiling. I was curious. Yeah. What, what were you saying? <laughs> no, I was just saying with with the impact of human intervention and yes. how you have yeah. to look at things differently. Like where fire was bad, or fire mm-hmm. was good, then fire was bad, or 
if you're going to change and intervene in a certain way, then you have to pick the right plant. Yeah. Even though that may have been good when it was being managed by fire, if you're no longer going to do that, yeah. you have to rethink. And it's amazing that what we learn from mistakes. And one of the things I'd, I'd really point out here is how when we talk about that this area was managed by fire, it was still managed uh, primarily by humans yeah. causing the fire on purpose, um, which I guess you can take that. However, you what like. was that like before they managed it by fire? Yeah, I don't I, know. I think it was probably still managed by fire, probably at a little bit longer cycle. Yeah, um, someone out there definitely knows this, but uh, I would imagine it was managed by fire about a longer cycle because it was wildfires, but the yeah. fires were much more intense yeah. and and probably devastating than um, than when it was managed by humans, where they were doing it for for hunting purposes in yeah. a lot of cases. Um, so yeah, it's a. Uh, I think that's important to point out, and whether you, you agree with that, that it, just because uh, you had indigenous people were doing this, it makes it a good thing or a bad thing. Um, I think it's important to recognize that uh, because now it's fire is just really frowned upon, and I think for good reason yeah. because you have homes and and livelihoods at risk in the way. But without without the fire, you don't have the rest of the cycle. So we need to come in and do those fires in a responsible way where you had um, the rancher saying, oh, we do it. Yeah. So basically every piece of our acreage gets burned once every 10 years. Man, that's a, a pretty – there's actually a, a map I just saw that was saying how um, how common fire was in a lot of these areas just historically. Yeah. And I want to say that area of the country was like in that three- to five-year range. Um where we are in New Jersey, yeah. well, there's a line almost right exactly where we live between North and South Jersey. Like the Pine Barrens region, I think was like a six to eight year cycle, and then Northern New Jersey was like a ten to twelve year cycle, or and maybe my years are like two yeah. years off either way. But um, but yeah, it was like fire was a big thing that happened in in nature, in New Jersey. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. like it was un, unheard of and it didn't happen here. So um so at thir- yeah. there's there's years and years of human management in there in different respects. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the arguments you always hear in restoration, what are you restoring it to? Yeah. You know, and that's and how are you maintaining it? What's you know, that's the other key factor, stewardship. So yeah. it's are you going to burn? Are you not going to burn? What are you trying to it, you know, it's nice to hear that the the prairies were rebounding back nicely after fire. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. It just makes me wonder, all right, if there were no human intervention, mm-hmm. what are we what yeah. are we back to at that point? Have we yeah. made too many changes? I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I think we – I think it's probably way too far. Yeah. Because um, you couldn't – it would have to burn eventually. Yeah. And you couldn't you, – you're in a position where you really can't let it burn on its own because you can't control it in that sense. Yeah. So it's better to get ahead of it and burn it for nature Yeah. Um, because then – like I'm, I'm. This is. A, I was gonna say. Well, it's Anthony May. It was the who's the Anthony uh, May from? Is that Spider Man or is that uh, is that Wizard of Oz? Anthony, I'm trying. Whoever the ant was in in Wizard of Oz is who I'm I, thinking. Yeah, of. but like their house is gonna be in the way if you let it do its own thing, and you're gonna have the, that kind of collateral damage. So I think that's what needs to be avoided. But native plants. End of the story. In this is native plants can be. A detrimental thing in some cases, if it's not the right plant in the right place. Yeah. 
Um, and that's why we can't go and overprescribe yeah. certain native plants just because we like them or, yeah. or which is wow, we're really coming full circle to your complaint. <laughs> yeah, I, I trust me, I, I was yeah. thinking that myself. But the difference would be we're not saying use a non native. Yeah. We're exactly. just saying if you're changing it, you you have to try to replicate a, mm-hmm. a natural ecosystem somewhere else with those plants that are close to that. Yeah, definitely. You know, definitely. so but fantastic article. Um, my article this week is called How to Make Flood-Prone Areas in New Jersey More Resilient to Climate Change uh, by Kitta McPherson, and this is on phys.org. Um, I recently was at the State Soil Conservation District meeting, and you know, climate change was a huge topic, as you can imagine, uh, and and we, we talked about it. Many of the speakers were talking about climate change in New Jersey, so – Uh, The article starts like this. For years, Rutgers ecologist Brooke Maslow has studied how to redesign flood-prone landscapes so they can best protect the communities they border from the ravages of swollen brooks and rivers and rising seas. State and federal programs that enable the acquisition of flood-prone properties from willing homeowners at fair market value and then clear the land represent powerful first steps towards resilience, said Maslow an associate professor at the Rutgers Department of Ecology, Evolution, and Natural Resources in the School of Environmental and Biological Sciences, uh, otherwise known as SEBS. But how can communities transform this vacant land so it's better able to withstand flooding and rebound when the waters recede? Maslow, a founding member of the newly established Rutgers Climate and Energy Institute, RCEI, has an answer for the leaders of all 564 of New Jersey's municipalities. Creating flood-resilient landscapes, a primer for New Jersey's communities, is the product of eight years of research and practical experience by Maslow and her resilience team, which includes an interdisciplinary group of collaborators from both Rutgers, including project coordinator Kathleen Kerwin, and researchers from South Dakota State University, including Jeremiah Bergstrom, who is a former oh, – yeah. uh, look at that. He, he worked at Rutgers, a uh, former colleague of ours, Shelby Smith, Emma Martin, and Alyssa Faber. With more than 1,800 miles of coastline, 6,450 miles of rivers in New Jersey, much of New Jersey's developed land is at risk of being severely affected by flooding over the next 30 years, Maslow said. These challenges can be overcome through resilient landscape designs, which is ecologically centered approach that combines principles of engineering, ecology, and landscape architecture with social science to transform acquired properties into public assets. Maslow and her interdisciplinary team have written and produced a free comprehensive guide available online and in print. More New Jersey communities than ever are grappling with severe flooding and looking for solutions for their flood-prone properties, said Nick Angarone, New Jersey DEP's chief resilience officer. Um, I may, I wonder if it was Nick who I saw speak uh, last week actually. Um, landscape designs is one option, and this primer will be invaluable to municipalities seeking to restore vacant land in a way that will enhance the resilience of the entire community. The manual not only explains how municipal leaders can make flood-prone landscapes more resilient but also how to fund these efforts, said Maslow, who is also an extension specialist with the New Jersey Agricultural Experimental Experiment Station. Until now, all-inclusive guidelines for best practices for such an approach haven't existed, Maslow said. We present here a primer that will serve as a guide for creating flood-resilient landscapes across the communities in New Jersey. The primer applies to any landscape resilience project regardless of size or jurisdiction and can be applied to landscape transformation of buyout areas or flood-prone area with an uh, existing open space. Flooding defined as the inundation of typically dry land occurring when the amount of water exceeds the ability of the land to absorb it, 
isn't just a coastal problem, nor does it occur only because of severe storms. Nearly all of New Jersey's 564 municipalities have been flooded because of climate change and rain. Uh, and coastal storms are predicted to increase in frequency and severity in the future, leading to the potential for lasting impacts on entire neighborhoods, landscapes, and natural resources, Maslow said. The primer is the result of Maslow's work and the need for technical guidance identified through the DEP Resilient New Jersey program, which is an assistance program to support local and regional climate resilience planning, and the Blue Acres program, a flood protection program that includes relocating families whose homes are subject to repeated flooding and acquiring flood-prone property for use as natural flood storage, parks, and community open space. Restoration involves um, – Involves enhancing a formerly developed parcel through soil enrichment and planting as well as engineering interventions to reduce flooding. Native plants and trees can be used to produce pocket parks, meadows, and or woodlands. The primer outlines specific methods, methods and techniques for redesigning, implementing, and maintaining a sustainable, ecologically-based landscape resilience project. Resilient landscapes contribute to overall climate resilience by supporting the plants and animals that perform important ecological functions, Maslow said. Biodiverse landscapes mitigate flooding, retain soil, and protect critical infrastructure such as hospitals and power stations. Maslow said she hopes the guide will serve as a national model for action. Um, One of the things I learned in that state conference was just how with climate change over the next 30 years, how more common it will be for the 100-year storm, for the 20-year storm, like – they're occurring much more like the increased rainfall and most – you know, now we're seeing – you know, one of the things was a lot more impervious uh, cover mm-hmm. with warehouses and things like that. Most of these were grandfathered in and only had to build to today's standards, not future standards. So a lot of these places don't have the capabilities to handle – rain events of that size of what we're going to be more mm. accustomed to in the future. Um, and we're seeing that in cities all over. What was the the one flood we just had here recently? Um, oh, here yeah. In, in, North, in New York City and yeah, northern New Jersey. Northern yeah. New Jersey, which was, which was horrible. And we're going to see more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were going over just, you know, this is what a retention basin would look like for this size building. But if you were to use the 30-year model, it would be 25% larger. Mm-hmm. So you think of all these places that have already built it that are already are yeah. going to be 25% too small. Mm-hmm. And you have more frequent and uh, more volatile rain systems coming in the future. There is a need to circumvent some of this mm-hmm. um, in the future. Now, they're building homes at higher elevations mm-hmm. for, for uh, coastal change. It's just one of those things that – for where we're located, we're we're seeing the effects now. Yeah. It's not going to affect everyone yeah. the same, but we're definitely seeing the effects. So my my first takeaway from the article is how many jokes did uh did did she get about um having like Maslow's hierarchy of <laughs> <laughs> landscape needs? <laughs> your oh, basic totally. needs are native plants, and then totally then, then it's your highest level uh. needs. Are, <laughs> oh god um no it's it is really just uh i'm glad to see this kind of work being done and i yeah. think it should be a, a model um that's used nationally i agree to create some action because um at that farm Bureau convention i was at uh there was a presenter who said something along the lines of how many thousand year or hundred year flood events 
can we get in a 10 year period before it's no longer a, a hundred or thousand year flood event. Yeah. Um, and it just seems like these kind of flashier storms are just a lot more common. A lot of it due to the impervious surface we've yeah. created and, yeah. um, along with climate change. Yeah. And yeah, we, we have to really think about how do we handle this when it gets here? Yeah. We've already caused this, part of this to happen how do we handle it going forward yeah. so, so no, a lot i'm really of, glad to see it's happening a lot of great programs a lot of good information yeah. um and it was nice to see this kind of research being done and already finished mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and out there yeah, in the hands sure. of people to help them sure. so two fantastic articles uh we're going to post them on monday on our native plants healthy planet facebook group so make sure you go there click the links read both articles in full i read my whole article tom's article is way bigger, way bigger. so there's a lot more yeah. to digest so make sure you go and look and then you get to vote because and of course the choice is yours. all right we wow we're already almost an hour and 15 minutes let's do uh listener shout outs Listener, listener, shout out, shout out, shout out. So I have a couple I'm going to do. One was for Susan Landau, who we mentioned at the beginning of the program. Just mm-hmm. want to say thank you for pointing out that we missed uh, fans from Mosquito yeah. Control and dropping us a nice note with some kind words. Uh, Sean Campbell, who reached out to me, um, listened on podcast, reached out to me uh, through, I think, LinkedIn, just as a college student and was just looking for advice and wanted to talk to someone in the industry. And uh, I know my son being a graduate student has been connecting with a lot of people via LinkedIn Mm -hmm. and how many people have been kind enough to spend time with them. So I gave Sean a call and we talked for about a half an hour and it was was nice to to just connect and and see – you know what the future is for our industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was yeah, very definitely. nice. But definitely. That's what I got. All right. And we had a bunch of uh, of Spotify. And they're all over. People. Like, So yeah. it's not just in a row. Like if you were going back to look through, it's like episodes over the last like 10 to 15 yeah. episodes. Yeah. And um, and I have no idea what you said because I haven't been able to see it. <laughs> but Fran put them in here for me. So I did. So very nice. And uh, those folks, and thank, like really do, we do thank you for the feedback because yeah. – uh, I know it goes a long way for Fran, and he shares the he shares the important ones with me. What I can do is I I will share the email so that yeah. when you log in, it will take you right to the yeah. Right I don't, place. You did at one point, and then now oh, it doesn't take me to the right place anymore, right. or whatever I've tried. You can take me to the right place. You can access the wrap from there. The one thing yeah. I didn't look at was the wrap for a native plant every day. I thought that would be interesting. Yeah, yeah. So uh, those folks are Andrew Hedman, uh, Dina. How would you say that? I'm not – she said on the Facebook group how to pronounce – she said she loves hearing us try to boot pronounce hoot. it. I'm going to go – she's Canadian. Boot hoot. Boot uh, boot thought. <laughs> boot thought, yeah. <laughs> uh, we have uh, uh, Piper27 and uh, Danielle Likeness. Daniela. Um, Is it Daniela? Yeah, that's what I said. Oh, I thought you said Danielle. No, Daniela. Okay, sorry. I don't know. Maybe I, I rounded it out a little bit. Um, uh, who and and she has been such an active oh, yeah. member in our Facebook group. We can thank you for all the kind words and and wonderful posts that you've you've made recently. Definitely, yeah. definitely. And then uh, Amy Pia, she said we shamed her into listening at the uh, Seer conference, and rightfully so. Yeah, we. I didn't shame. Her I, at did. All. I did. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was. Gonna, I, didn't do that. <laughs> I did. We were outside talking. Her and Christiane and I were were standing out. We were sitting outside talking at lunch. Okay. And it came up, and she said she hadn't listened to a while. So I was kind of shaming her a little bit so she listened and said and rightfully so she's missed a lot of great content she's trying to catch up cool well thank you everyone yeah thank you so much um 
we really have nothing else. Uh, we do have a take it or leave it, and this is kind of off the topic a little bit. We may have discussed it at some point, and I wanted to know your plans for when you pass away, cremation or burial. Um, I just assume cremation. Uh, I don't know. Like I'm assuming – here's the thing. Like we talked with Greg Tepper mm-hmm. at the yeah. West Laurel Hill Cemetery about nature sanctuary and mm-hmm. a more natural way instead of a, a burial plot. It's more nature. And where they I don't I think he was saying they don't use caskets, it's more like a shroud. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was like a burlap yeah. thing. Yeah. So like like anything else, does it go back to Nate? Like I if I, I personally want to be cremated and and I don't know if I'm if I'm doing wildlife a disservice by not letting them eat my remains. Well, yeah, I guess the only if you do the the nature sanctuary style burial, yeah. you're doing a regular burial. Yeah, because they were saying they're shallow yeah. burials too, right? If I remember correctly, uh, I don't remember how I, shallow I you said. But um, not yeah. that wildlife's pulling them out of the ground and eating them. I'm just saying like worms, insects. But soil. A, a traditional burial is of it's a concrete vault. Okay. In which the casket is then put. Yeah. And then the I think the body's like also embalmed in a way. Yeah. So yeah, it's really like you're not getting consumed. Yeah. It's a, it's a, yeah. It's I I have a couple friends who are in the the cemetery or grave digging business. Okay. And uh, really, yeah, it's not what you'd expect. Well, it's, like I, like it's, it's a lot more complicated. I just assumed they dug a hole and then yeah. put the wood box in the bottom, and that was it. But apparently, it, there's like a lot that goes into it. If, if if you think it through time, like there were funeral pyres, mm-hmm. you could be set adrift to see. Yeah. You know, uh, so many ways where you're just you're you're going back to nature. Um, like if like when I'm cremated, I want my ashes spread. I don't want them in an urn mm-hmm. sitting in a mausoleum yeah. somewhere. You yeah. know, I'd like them to go back to to nature. And become part of something else. Um, I don't know. I was just curious. It's I, which is the most environmentally sound. I don't know. Yeah, I really don't know either. Um, if I did know, I forgot. But yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. Right. Like if you were to be cremated and have your ashes spread out in a natural area, or to be buried shallowly in a burlap bag in a natural area. Are they both just environmentally sound? I have no clue. Yeah, I don't know. Either. Yeah, I'd be okay with either one of those, but I yeah. think I'd rather be cremated. I've, I really have no preference. Okay, my wife's my. This is well. I'm a lot older weird. than you. Yeah. I've thought about <laughs> yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, my wife's my wife. Um, her wishes are that we're both we're both cremated. Um, and like basically, what my my instruction was: if she was to die first. She gets cremated, put in a an urn on the mantle, mm-hmm. and then eventually, when basically when the other partner yeah. dies, they also get cremated, put in the same thing, get shaken up so they're mi- intermingled, and spread spread yeah. together. Yeah, well, I don't even or know. If, spread. If, I don't even know. If she well, wants people we, to spread us. We, I don't. I don't know if we got that far. I, I kind of tuned out. After but the you know, mixing. we didn't talk about that. Like Agatha yeah. and I both agree that we want to be cremated and spread in the same place. And mm-hmm. the place is to be determined, but we want to pick a special yeah. natural area that we would like our ashes to be spread. Mm-hmm. Now, her mother has bought her a funeral plot, which mm-hmm. she's not going to use. Yeah. So, but the one thing is that we didn't discuss is: Do you want to wait till both of us are dead before the ashes are spread? Mm-hmm. 
Like, yeah. do you want to do one? Like, do we each, uh, like if I'm assuming I'm going to go first, I'm older. Mm-hmm. But would she spread my ashes to honor me while she's alive rather than, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I guess we have some things to discuss. Yeah. And go, good <laughs> this, is really morbid, this is really yeah. morbid conversation to, to end this episode. A right. dinner conversation is actually going to tie us into our uh, my secrets. So All right. Awesome. With that, I want to thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Buzz. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Native Plants Healthy Planet, presented by Pylons Nursery. We aspire to be everyone's number one oh, we do. listen to podcast on uh, the 2024 Spotify wrap. <laughs> Santino, you need to redeem yourself. Uh, A big thank you to RJ Comer for our buzz intro theme music. Make sure you stream or buy RJ's music uh, wherever you consume your music or listen to his Americana playlist on Pandora. I'm sure you will enjoy them. Thank you to Dave Bennett for our native plant anthem. You can follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Native Plants underscore Healthy Planet or at Pinelands Nursery. And also YouTube at Pinelands Nursery. We have a question and comment line. Call us at 215-346-6189. I will repeat that, 215-346-6189. Ask a question or leave a comment. We will do our best to play it on a future episode of The Buzz. And thank you to all of our members of the Native Plant Healthy Planet Facebook group. If you're not a member, please go there and join. So actually I'm I'm opening up Facebook, and we Santino posted his top podcast on Facebook. Did he? We didn't get beat up by any Bigfoot podcasts, but we did get beat out by two Pokemon podcasts. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, That's... I'll accept as long as it wasn't another native plant podcast. Yeah. Listen to 4,085 minutes of stuff you should know. Wow. Wow. That's something. Wow. That's amazing. That's, I, he's got to be the smartest person to have to wait. listen to that much. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Oh, someone post it. I'm just looking in the native plants. They they posted anonymously. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, that we were their top podcast for 2023. They listened to 1,867 minutes, and they're a top six percent fan. Wow. And it says to the six percent square up. I'll meet you in the Applebee's parking lot at sunset. <laughs> 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 but we were saying, wait. Where where are my stats? So top six percent. So number one, we were number one for 137 fans. So cool. All right, there you go. Can, yeah. Thank you, anonymous participant, for making us. We will see you in at the Applebee's, <laughs> at the Applebee's parking, parking lot, lot to thank you and uh, give you your prize. Uh, so uh, you can buy Native Plants Healthy Planet merch at our website www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. There's a banner right at the top. You actually don't click the banner. You click the link under the banner, and that takes you to our Teespring store. And uh, we actually got a nice little flurry with Black Friday, Cyber Monday sales. That sale, uh, 10% off, goes on through today. All right. So today's awesome. the last day. If you haven't gotten it yet, you got to get it today, um, and you'll get 10% off uh, any of those purchases. Uh, we don't keep any of the, the profits from those T-shirts. We actually give them to organizations we think are doing really great boots on the ground native plant stuff uh where that money can go a long way so you're not just looking fashionable you're also helping one of those organizations uh of our choosing um if you haven't already uh do us a favor hit subscribe on this podcast and uh and leave us five star review they go a long long way um and uh yeah that i mentioned in the beginning it really flatters us to hear all that kind of stuff and see those kind of things so uh it really makes us feel good 
at the end of the day. So, oh, and totally. you can listen to us really wherever you're listening right now, whether that's Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcast, uh, iHeartRadio, wherever you're listening, uh, just keep listening there. Or you can switch to Spotify and we can be your top podcast on rap. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. All right. What's your idea my, for the tiebreaker? My se- the well, my secret is what we'll do for the tiebreaker. Um, I'm not a big soup person. Either am I. But uh, we had a little, my wife, or my mom made turkey soup after Thanksgiving. Okay. Gave some to my wife and I. We were eating the soup for dinner. And I was thinking as I'm eating this soup, like, it's amazing how, like, we all just eat the same soups. And there's so many soups. Like, there's got to be so many soups in the world. Yeah. But we Agatha only just made all butter- eat the same soups. Yeah. It's Agatha just made butternut squash soup. Yeah. 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 And that's like a little bit on the yeah. fringe of yeah. the soups. But I'm like, you think they're not like there's gotta be all kinds of like Asian soups oh, and totally. African soups. Yeah. Soup is a pretty like it goes happens everywhere. Yes. But we only eat like chicken noodle, clam chowder, like yeah. like lobster bisque. Gumbo. Yeah. yeah, I didn't even think about gumbo. gumbo. I oh I didn't even think about that. We're only eating like the same. It's all the same. You go to a restaurant, you, they got the same soups, French onion. Yeah. Um, so, so I eating this soup, thinking this, and I look, I look up at my wife and says, "I'm about to challenge you to a soup off." <laughs> and, and we just took turns naming soups until one of us couldn't think of oh. a soup to name, which I did, and it probably went on for like 15 minutes. Really? And we didn't put time limits where it was like you had 30 seconds to name a soup. It was like. You could take a minute or two yeah. and then shoot out a soup. I don't um, think I could name ten, Tom. If you went for fifteen minutes, it's you win. Surprising! It's yeah. surprising. Uh, I lost, and then then last night I was sitting there eating dinner. And I'm like, "All right, time for redemption. We're having a cheese off. <laughs> <laughs> we, we did cheeses. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Which I also lost. She she really? spit out Limburger, and I couldn't think of any. With the soup off, I got stuck. How my brain works is like a little night neurodivergent part of me um i got stuck and i would think be thinking of a soup and but i couldn't remember the name of the soup yeah and it, i could not like get off and so well, i need to think of a different soup i just had to identify that yeah. soup and i was stuck on borscht i could i'm oh. like there's a soup from like russia made of beets <laughs> and borscht. i don't know what it's called i but can't remember Agatha makes a white borscht which is uh. kind of like a sour yeah like a sour like it's uh. i don't even know how to explain it but there's you you put in a a boiled egg in it. Too. Yeah, uh, interesting. Yeah, but yeah, it was. Um, I was shocked at how many soups we were able to come up with. It's like carrot and ginger, beef and barley, beef and barley. That's about my extent. Um, You've named pretty much hot, everything. Hot cheese soup, ramen. There's there's one I'm thinking of, not gumbo, but it's like a like a uh, Louisiana style. Like the has andouille sausage. Is that gumbo? That's not gumbo. The gumbo has andouille yeah, in it. Okay. There's jambalaya, but that's jambalaya, not Jambalaya, really that's what I was thinking of. I, can see I was thinking of jambalaya. It be a little brothy, but. You could buy it as a Campbell soup, like a canned you soup. Jambalaya. jambalaya. Yeah. We, I need someone from that, the Delta, to chime yeah. in and tell me, is jambalaya? I didn't think it was a soup. I'm gonna, I guess we could just Google it. All right. But okay. yeah, so I was going to say for our tiebreaker, we could do, I'll even let you pick the category. I was, it's something plant related. But like uh, it was like woody trees, and then oh, that could go on forever though. Well, not with me. I I would no. just I would tap uh, out at some point. But we could do woody trees, but you have to give the botanical name. <laughs> I'm sure our listeners would love that. <laughs> 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 oh, jambalaya soup is actually commonly 
commonly looked up. It says jambalaya soup. Okay. All right. Yeah. I know you can buy it as a Campbell's soup. Yeah, I didn't know that. Maybe I'm thinking jambalaya is something different. But, yeah, interesting. I don't know. I feel like I feel like whatever we do is going to be I think there's jambalaya and then there's jambalaya soup. Okay. I think there's uh, two things. different things. Okay. You look at jambalaya, it's really ricey yeah. and sausage. They got the shrimp in it. And then there's or a crawfish soup, or whatever. Like and then version. I think you can just like broth it down and make it a soup. Gotcha. All right. So, All right. Or broth Either. it up, I guess is the other way to put it. Uh, I don't know, Tom. We're at an hour and a half. You just want to call it a tie? L- let's call it a tie. Okay. Because I'm thinking everything I think of, we could go back and forth for quite some time. Like yeah. if it goes on for fifteen minutes, it's going to be oh, fifteen yeah, minutes too. It's yeah. going to be fourteen minutes too long. And a soup off wouldn't be fair because I just did one two days yeah. ago. So, All right, we'll think yeah. of maybe we we'll th- can think of something that we could do quickly. Yeah. on the next episode. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, cool, cool. Um, yeah, so that's going to wrap us up. Thank you, everyone. I'm Tom, and I am Fran. Thanks again, everyone. Coming up next week, we have Jeffrey Gall from Princeton Hydro. We're going to have a very cool conversation about dam removal. Uh, So uh, we'll see you again next time. Make sure you tune in for that. And until then, keep it native. In meadows, woods, wetlands, and dales grows a bounty of beauty that never fails. Our native plants, so diverse and so rare, treasures of our land beyond compare. For the friends below, soaring oaks above, each plant has a place each plant Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planted Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.